Libby writes with Brian Scott Libby. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up? I am Brian Scott Rippey. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippey Rights Podcast, powered by Twisted Tea. It is our basketball season preview, one game into the season with Brack and Ray. Some a uh, little bit of a scheduling conflict, so we didn't go out before the season, but we talked about their Ole Miss's 10-point win over Alabama State on Monday night and then dove into this roster, the lack of eligibility of Musa Cisse and Brandon Murray what the floor and ceiling of this team is a look at the rest of the league and college basketball as a whole. So great preview. It'll certainly make you smarter heading into this basketball season as Bracken broke down pretty much every relevant player on the team and how this roster is going to eventually attempt to meld together. So anyway, buckle up. Thank you. Enjoy it. Before we get to that, I want to take one quick break to remind you. This podcast is brought to you by Seaspire. Time to upgrade your home internet to the best service in the market with Seaspire Home Fiber. The past few years have proven how important it is to have reliable home internet connection for you and your family. That's why Seaspire Home provides the most reliable internet service with 99.99% uptime. Seaspire also prides themselves with best customer service in the home internet market. Their customer service is award-winning, local, based out of the Southeast with industry low call wait time. Seaspire provides 1 gigabit and 300 megabit internet packages to homes across Mississippi, Birmingham, and southern Alabama regions. Seaspire is also proud to announce the release of their brand new 2 gigabit and 8 gigabit home internet plans. Save yourself the hassle by not waiting for your internet connection to drop with the other guys. Call or go online to cspire.com slash home today and use promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E, and you'll get one month of free service. So you get a free month of internet service and the best internet service in the market just for listening to this podcast. How about that? Check them out. Seaspire, customer inspired. This podcast is also brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. The world's best gambling handicapping website. The inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, the advanced monitoring mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. You got a month left of football season, college football season, regular season, that is. Maybe you're behind. Use Skybox. They're the professionals. They hit and make money every single year. Don't get into a hole by going off your own leads 15 minutes before kickoff. Go sign up for Skybox. They're the professionals. It's all based off math. Go online, skyboxsportspicks.com. You can try a picks package a day, a week, a month. You got college basketball starting on Monday night. That is their bread and butter. They absolutely crush it in college basketball every year. You can try sports-specific. You can go all sports. I recommend going the year-long all-access pass. It'll pay for itself and then some. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com, the best sports handicappers in the world. You sign up, you get a color-coded spreadsheet categorized by unit, and boom, you're more equipped to profit than you were before signing up for Skybox. Go online today, get your picks package, use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E. That'll get you 20% off any purchase. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. All right, here's Bracken. All right, we now welcome on former Andy Kennedy staffer, Rippy Wright's basketball correspondent, Bracken Ray. It is our long-awaited NCAA, uh, Ole Miss basketball preview after one game into the season. Had some murmurings about this on the board, wondering it, when it was coming. It is hoop season again, man. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Hoop, another hoop season is here, so happy to be back at it. You know, when they made this hire, I think I texted you at some point after the press conference, and I was like, you know, if we only do five basketball pods this year, something went terribly wrong. I don't think the season is going to be over when the calendar turns to 2024 like it's been the last couple of years. I think we're actually going to have some fun stuff to talk about for the first time of you and I doing this iteration of the podcast, which is nice. Oh, for sure. For sure. And, you know, especially long term, but, you know, there's going to be, I think this team obviously will be competitive at least. And, you know, we'll probably have some games where they don't play 
you know, super well, but also, you know, they've got, they've got a team and the way they approach things, they may go surprise somebody or two uh, throughout the season. And that is kind of refreshing after what we've seen the past two or three seasons. Yeah. It's one of the, it's almost like a mindset of it can only go up from here. Ole Miss opens the season with a 69 59 win over Alabama state last night. We'll get to that piece of it in a second, but because we haven't actually done a full fledged preview yet, I kind of want to take a look at this roster and it's something you and I have gone back and forth on a couple of different times, you know, throughout, you know, the summer and the fall and just looking at it, there's a lot of transfers on this roster. He pretty much reshaped it completely in a very short amount of time. There's obviously the elephant, I say elephant in the room. There's the big kicker in terms of the eligibility of Brandon Murray and Musa Cisse. But overall, they look a little bit more athletic. I think depth is a major concern, but just in general, it looks like a more competent roster that makes a lot more sense than Kermit Davis's did, particularly the last couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, when you look at it and, you know, obviously, uh, in my opinion, Brandon uh, Murray would have been the best two-way player on this team and Cissé probably would have started at the five spot. Um, but, you know, going from there, being able to pick up Flanagan, um, you know, Jamarian Sharp, who we'll, we'll get into him a little bit, but he's he his game defensively, he has a very Jarvis Bernardo effect to him. Um, and what I mean by that is, hey, you know, he may have a game where he's seven points, six rebounds, and five blocks, but it's very immeasurable the impact that he provides down low. Um, and he's a guy that I've actually watched for three years now, or this is the third year because he played at Western and they played UAB twice a year. So I would always, you know, watch him play and guys like Jelly Walker who were able to create space and Jelly obviously could shoot, but also could get down downhill a little bit too. Sharp was a guy that you, (laughs) you have to second guess yourself on, straight line driving and what you're going to do when you get within about five feet of the goal, because I mean, he's so long, seven foot five, you should research this, but he's like one of the top 50 tallest human beings in the world. Um, And so, you know, that, that's a piece where I don't think offensively he's going to give you a ton outside of trash buckets and, and lob. Um, And I don't think they're going to run a ton of offense through him. Um, but defensively, it's it's hard to really even measure uh, the impact that he has. So he's going to be a lot of fun. I love Flanagan's game. He may, without um, Murray, he may be the best, you know, two-way player on the team. I've got some kind of thoughts on, uh, on him that we can talk about a little bit later offensively. Um, and then you've got the two point guards. I think Nunez um, – you know, he only played four minutes last night, and he's a guy that I think is gonna uh, he's gonna be a development player. But I, there were some t- there were some talks that he got injured in kind of the summer and fall. So as he kind of heals up, you may see his minutes increase as well. So to just kind of step back, I mean, what Beard was able to do, um, you know, in a, in a short amount of time and attack the transfer portal, he's not only a guy. You know, he's not he's not a guy that's going to go get three, five stars a year um, and, and really hasn't in his career at all, with the exception of a few guys at Texas. But he's just a really good evaluator. And there's honestly 
not many staffs in the country that watch more film on transfers and high school kids than Beard and his staff. When looking at the two guys that aren't available, uh, Cissé and Brandon Murray, the waiver thing is always interesting to me. And I know you probably dealt with it some when you're on staff with AK, but it's probably a little bit different now with like, well, actually with hoops, it probably wasn't like the grad transfer kind of turning into the one-time free transfer. It doesn't sound like it's likely. I know you've mentioned that's kind of what you're hearing. It's likely that either one of them get eligible. Like, Can you shed some light on like from a staff standpoint, like what that process is like? Are you just like expecting the worst because the biggest group of clown assholes in the world are the ones deciding it and there's no method to the madness? Like what is actually, what is it actually like trying to gauge the likelihood of a waiver? And I'm not even talking about these two guys in general. Maybe you have someone from your experience. What is that like trying to gauge the likelihood of like, is this guy going to get eligible and win? Yeah, you know, it's one of these things that um, I think half a decade ago or so, you've got maybe international guys or guys with academic issues. Um, If you think back 10 to 20 years ago, you saw it a lot with JUCO kids, right? Like, hey, are they going to make their spring grades to get into time for fall? Um, But, you know, the big thing is it's just the timing element of it. I mean, <laughs> Ole Miss played their first game yesterday and there's still not a decision, right? And so I know that this staff was extremely diligent um, with their case and their documentation uh, for both guys. And both guys, you know, I, I think are really good players. Cissé was a former five-star. Murray was uh, SEC all-freshman team um, when he started his career at LSU. And so I think the big thing, and I thought this was really good of Beard, I think it was smart of him, is, you know, you got to plan without those guys. And if you notice, um, you know, in their exhibition and um, even more relevant, their secret scrimmage, because this is the time that you kind of could do it, they didn't play with those guys. And I, I kind of thought in a way that was smart because – it's the, the hit rate on guys getting eligible right now is, is slim to none. Um, and so you really want to see, hey, what is my team going to look like without these guys? And then, you know, it's kind of cherry on top if you get the guys eligible. And the, these are two guys that have played a lot of college minutes. Um, so I like the approach that he actually did not, you know, play these guys in the exhibition and, or, or in the secret scrimmage. Um, but it, it, it's a tough process. And, you know, with the NCAA, everything is slow. Given what you understand about the roster to this point, we'll start individual. You can go with Murray and then get to CSA after. What are they actually missing? Like, what is this team missing without those two guys individually? Well, I mean, a, a few things, to be honest with you. Um, I think that they are missing a post presence offensively. Um, CSA, as a young player, um, was very developing. Uh, from an offensive standpoint, he has become – he became serviceable, um, you know, as, as he got older, and I think that he's got a chance to to be a pretty decent back-to-the-basket player. If you watch his highlights at Memphis and Oklahoma State, it, it's a lot of lob stuff. But as he got on to his career at Oklahoma State, he did – he was able to play back-to-the-basket a little bit. You know, so that's number one. Um you know, number two, and this is something that, you know, cannot really be fixed, is I still just don't know that this roster has enough straight-line drivers, right? The guys with wiggle that can pe- beat people off the dribble. Um, and we've been saying that for 
you know, three, four seasons now. Um, it's nice when you have a guy at point guard that can do that. Um, but really and truly, even if you have guys that play off the ball as well, that can be able to, you know, beat a guy one-on-one off the wing, it opens a lot of, uh, you know, it, it opens things up. This team is not going to be an elite perimeter shooting team, but if you have a guy that can beat somebody off the uh, bounce, it at least gives you a higher quantity of us uncontested looks from the perimeter. So the the two things offensively that I really see is, hey, you've got no post presence down low. As we know, as the game has evolved over the past decade or so, people, especially at started at the top in the NBA, are running five-out offenses more. You don't have the back to the basket, excuse me, back to the basket presence as much. Um, but it's nice. It's really it's a nice to have when you can have that. And then, hey, whether it's your point guard or a guy on the wing, I don't think they have enough um, to create straight line driving. One thing that was interesting though last night, and I want to hear your perspective of this as well. You know, a couple of years ago, <laughs> I had a take that I thought Breakfield would play some point forward. Uh, so bring the ball up at times, and that was absolutely wrong. So this this take may be absolutely wrong as well. But the guy that I thought got out in transition, pushed it, was able to beat people off the bounce is Flanagan. And he's a guy that in his career has been a three and four, maybe even a, a two, three, and four. By no means am I saying that I think he'll run point, but one thing that I think Beard may do is – hey, if he's got the ball in transition or in a secondary break, letting him kind of get up court and run the offense himself because he is a guy that can create space. And he did a lot of things well last night. I mean, I think he had 15 and 12. Um, And and TJ Caldwell at times, too, was able to get downhill a little bit. But, you know, outside of that, um, they have a lot of guys that are a little bit stiff um from beating people off the dribble and you know they're going to play a lot better teams than they did last night as well so just kind of play it back post presence offensively and then um guys that can beat people off the bounce that was something i noticed last night too based on what you had mentioned in the past too regarding the breakfield thing and then flanagan kind of evolving into someone that could do that as well there was at least one or two possessions where they got out on a secondary break and it i don't know if it was just the you know, by coincidence that Breakfield got the basketball, but there were a couple of possessions where he kind of brought the ball up to court and it didn't totally like look completely chaotic. And so I just wonder if it's an imperfect situation at point guard, if you get further into the season, if he kind of looks more at doing that, but you know, in a perfect world, I would imagine, you know, last thing on these two guys that are not available, you mentioned CSA probably starts at the five. Do you think Brandon Murray is probably the starting point guard, or how would you have looked at the starting lineup if both of those guys were eligible? Yeah, and and to kind of play it back, I was speaking more to Flanagan bringing yeah. it up. I kind of I was saying that my breakfield take years ago was just dead wrong, but yeah, uh, Murray is, you know, he he's kind of a combo guard. What I think may end up happening after watching the game last night is you have to wonder if TJ Caldwell may run point at times. Um, you know, he, he, he looked good. He was able to create a little bit. Obviously, the uh, Juju Murray, that was a very quiet 15 points. I didn't realize it until I looked up, but he had 15. And I guess, you know, maybe half of those came from the free throw line, um, you know, which makes sense. But 
you know, I think that they've they've got to have that guy as as Nunez um, as he gets kind of back up to speed. I you know hand raised and I'm gonna scream praise. He's he's been my favorite coach in college basketball for the past seven years, and I've told you this being beard, but I'm gonna sing his praises and I'll also you know critique as well. I don't understand the Robert Coward experiment, um, and I wonder if that will end you know sooner rather than later. So that was an interesting piece of last night, too, because I was trying to figure out like what he was and what his role was. And I don't know. I'm not acute enough to tell if if he was on the floor and they started switching him to Madlock's kid or if he started out on it most times. But it seemed like a guy that you just have bother another team's score, but he also didn't offer much. Like, what did you you mentioned you don't understand it. What did you think they were trying to do with him last night? Yeah, I mean, well, look, here's the deal. I mean, they've got they got to play, especially, you know, a team. I, I don't know where Alabama state was Ken Palm wise, but it's a, it's a, it's a game that you're going to win. And so you need to play 10 or 11 guys and kind of yeah. see where depth is. So, I mean, I think there was a piece of that as well. I think he's a high major shooter and uh, a low major athlete, you know, in my opinion, but he plays 18 minutes, has three points. I just don't, I don't think he gives you a whole lot. Um, I do think, to his credit, though, he's super balled in and he plays super hard. Um, And he's kind of one of those guys where, hey, like, you know, he's probably talented enough to where if you need to go send a message to one of these other guards, you go put him in to kind of send that message if somebody's, you know, for Beard especially, not guarding on the defensive side of the floor. So they win by 10 points last night. It was an offensive slog, particularly in the first half. It looked like, and I know Caldwell, or I can't remember if it was Jalen Murray, Caldwell kind of alluded to it after the game about the ball getting stuck a little bit more in the first half and them having a little bit better ball moving in the second half. I imagine some of that is the sheer lack of straight line drivers, like you mentioned. You mentioned guys that can't really beat anyone off the bounce. We've been saying this for three or four years but when I thought it was interesting when they were struggling offensively, they couldn't really get anything to fall from the perimeter jump shot, particularly from three in the first half. I thought back to, well, why is like why are they why is this happening? Why are they not moving the ball very well? Well, if you don't have a guy that can create penetration, then it's just kind of a lot of pointless motion, particularly in the backcourt. Like, is that something you saw last night too? It's like, okay, the ball's not moving. It's like, but why? And it's like, oh, well, they don't have a lot of guys that can beat anyone off the bounce and kind of create you know, disadvantageous situations for them, disadvantageous for the opposing defense. It seemed like there was a lot of that because there weren't a lot of guards getting into the paint and straight line driving. Yeah, that's right. That's right. There's there's a lot of stats out there off of that coaches keep up with off of turns. And so zero turns, actually, the more turns you have, the higher percentage with the exception of zero, because that's normally transition. Um, but turns being how many times the, the ball turns um, from each side of the court. And, you know, you can you can turn the ball 10 times in a possession around the perimeter, but if you never take a dribble or you're never able to beat somebody off the bounce, you're going to end up with a contested look. So it's, it's a two-piece approach. Yes, they did a better job in the second half of the first of turning the ball, but you also, when you turn the ball, you've got to be able to – take advantage of mismatches or catch a defender kind of sleeping and or just out-athlete somebody. 
and get downhill to create either for yourself or to uh, open up a passing lane for another teammate. The sharp piece of it is interesting to me. You mentioned him having a presence that was really hard to quantify. And I thought it was a really good point. And that's kind of what I want to get into now. It's like Beard brought it up in an interesting way last night where I think Sharp finished with either three or four blocks. And he mentioned like from the way he saw the game, and this is another reason we'll get to later about how I find yeah. press conferences in a limited capacity so far to be very interesting. He's like, you know, I would have thought it was a seven, eight block game for him. He didn't play a ton in the second half, but there is a real element of that, particularly in college basketball. I know they've gone to more five out. There's not really that gigantic post presence, really the back to the basket on the offensive end. But on defense, that's a real thing. It's just not how many blocks or rebounds the guy gets. It's particularly in a league like the SEC when you have dynamic guards. It's having that presence down there who is so long and very coordinated from a shot blocking standpoint that it gets in the opposing guard's head of like, do I actually want to try this and get past the guard and get to the rim? Because then what? And alter their thinking when they finally, you know, halfway get 100%. counting this giant. 100%. And look, it's not it's not only a, a mental thing for the opposing team. This group, Beard, Beard alluded to it in his press conference last night, this group of guards has to figure out, hey, when you've got a guy that kind of beats you off the dribble and it's maybe a half step or less got you beat, you got to wall up and go straight up and maybe even take a little pressure off compared to how you would in the past because you have a seven-foot guy behind you. You know, a lot of these guys, I mean, you know, some of these guys came from SEC schools. Some of them came from mid-majors. They're probably used to having 6'8 to 6'10 guys at their five spots. So to have a seven-foot five guy, you as a defender have to kind of learn how to almost guard your man a little bit less when he gets close to the goal and, and Beard's point on the seven or eight, the reason he said that is because four times that game, we fouled the guy when Sharp blocked the shot. Uh, the, the, the guard fouled the opposing guard. So um, what Beard's saying is, hey, our guys have to learn this. And none of, you know, these, these, this group of guys has played with Sharp for, you know, since June or July. So it's, it's learning to quickly get adjusted to that. Um, and, and not, you know, not bail any of these guys out because Sharp's going to have, he's not going to average this, but he, he'll have an eight, nine, 10 block game. If these guards learn how to guard correctly, uh, it's a weird thing because, you know, you kind of get embarrassed as a guard when you get beat off the bounce and you want to wall back up and try to alter the shot. And with, with Sharp, you actually have to kind of play a little bit more conservative there. Yeah, it's incredibly well said. I mean, a part, part of your answer there was literally word for word, like you mentioned what Beard said. He was like, I, the reason I thought it was a seven, eight block game, it's like, well, you know, we kept fouling the guy that drove to the basket. And so, you know, that doesn't really do any good from a block standpoint. For his role on this team, assuming CSA does not get eligible this year, I know he's probably playing more minutes than you like him, but like an ideal world, if they did have a little bit more post-depth, they had a guy that was a true five that could – play like Cissé that's a little bit more versatile than Sharp. What would his role be on this team? Is it a guy that gives you 15 to 18 minutes a game? Is it a ma – I mean, you see this in NBA playoff series all the time where it's a matchup type thing. If they had their full complement of people, what do you figure Sharp's role on this team would be if you had to guess in November? I mean, yeah, I, th I think close to uh, closer to 20 maybe, 15 okay. to 20. Um, I mean, he's a guy that, you know, the issue is – 
he's thin. So defensive rebounding, I mean, that was a concern last night. I mean, he had three rebounds at seven foot five, right? And he doesn't give you a lot offensively. Sharp's going to go make some serious money overseas, though. I mean, he, you know, he, he it's a very unique, like I said, I've seen very few players since Jarvis Bernardo 12 to 15 years ago that have the impact that he does defensively um, down low. So, yeah, to your point, though, he's never played more, even at, in the Conference USA, he's never played more than 25 minutes a game. Rashad Marshall played four minutes last night, and I told some people before the season started, like, he is such an important player on this team because of the lack of the post post depth that they have. He was Gatorade, you know, state player of the year in Arkansas last year. He was a four star, but he literally this year, it's just like go defend and go rebound. Like that is your role. And you could play 15 minutes a game as a, as a freshman, if you wanted to four minutes, you know, in an opening night, you can't read too much into it, but May, may be a little bit concerning to where they're going to have to go five out at times and put Breakfield, you know, at the five and, and, and go kind of small. So, um, but, to, you know, back to your point, you know, I think Cissé definitely would have been the guy. He's a little bit more developed and obviously a lot stronger, uh, or he's a little more developed offensively and stronger. But, no, I don't, I don't think they'll have any issue playing, you know, sharp around 25 minutes a game. The one thing that is interesting about him, though, is, yes, he plays very well down low, um, but Beard likes to switch ball screens and likes to ice ball screens. In the first play of the game that Marshall went in defensively, he actually switched onto a guard where Sharp hadn't done that previously. Beard talked in his press conference around how he's conf- – you know, he, he has confidence in Sharp switching onto a guard at times – I just don't – I don't know – I don't know if that is going to translate once conference play starts. So that's another limitation that I think Sharp has as well with Beard's defensive philosophy. We will get back to Bracken in just one second, but before we do, I wanted to take a quick break to remind you. This podcast is brought to you by Twisted Tea. Are you ready to elevate your college football game day experience? Check out Twisted Tea, your go-to game day beverage for college football fans. Twisted Tea is unlike any other hard beverage you've ever had before. It's made with real brewed tea and packs a flavorful punch with 5% alcohol and no carbonation, delivering the perfect balance of taste and refreshment that goes down smooth for every game day occasion. No need to settle for the usual. Twisted Tea turns up on any occasion, especially when you're cheering on your favorite team. Whether you're tailgating in the stadium parking lot, watching at a bar, or hosting friends at home, Twisted Tea is there to elevate your game day experience. It perfectly complements your love for college football and your passion for creating unforgettable moments. So let's toast to unforgettable game day experience. Twisted Tea, the drink that fuels and celebrates your love for college football. Keep it twisted. Podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Go see Greg if you're Rippy Wright subscriber. That's rippywrights.substack.com. You get a free newsletter from me and discounted meats. Right now it's three six ounce bacon wrap fillets for 20 bucks. It's about a $40 evaluation you're getting there for $20. Just go in, show Greg proof of subscription, tell him you know about the Rippy Wrights newsletter. He'll get you set up and then go find all of your own favorites. It's the greatest butcher shop in the world. Incredible cuts of meat. I love the fillet burgers. All kinds of delicious sausages. The tri-tip is incredible. It's truly a gem of Oxford and a gem of the South. Check them out. LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Back to Bracken. 
That's something he talked about a little bit last night too. And I thought it was interesting where he said he's a guy that can guard the perimeter. Like, are you, do you actually believe that? Because that, again, just on surface level, it seems a little bit more difficult to believe that a seven foot guy could handle his own against an SEC level guard on the perimeter. Well, I think CSA could. I've, I've seen CSA do it. Sure. Um, sharp, sharp. I'd have to see it before I believe it at the SEC level. So, Another interesting character, I would say character in this whole teams and like the cohesion piece of it is Jamie and Brakefield. He's a guy that they kept around and I get why they did that. We've been talking about really since the 2021, 2022 season of like, when are you going to kind of fully see the full complement of what this guy can be? We're now in his third year at Ole Miss. It's his fourth year in college basketball. If you had to define like what he is as a basketball player and what he can offer this team, how would you describe that? I mean, I think Breakfield, I think he I think he is what he is, right? And I, I wouldn't read too much into last night. That was not a good performance, you know, by him. But he I mean, he has so much bought into Beard and has been a huge ambassador for the university since Beard took over, uh, convincing some guys to stay, helping out from a recruiting standpoint. He's a huge value add. I mean, I think he's gonna be a nine or ten. A night guy would love to see him be able to take on, you know, more rebounding than he has in the past. But, you know, at the end of the day, he's limited athletically. And I think for a four man, he's a good but not elite shooter. The issue is you could run action for him to shoot threes and stuff like that. His shot takes so long to develop. He has kind of a slow windup, so he has to be pretty open. It's got to be pretty uncontested for him to shoot threes. So I, I just think, you know, at this at this point in his career, he is what he is. I don't I don't see him having the ceiling of being a fifteen to eighteen a guy a night. But I also don't think fans need to be discouraged and think that this is a guy that took a step back and is going to average four or five a game this year. We're starting to see more and more of this in football, but I'm glad you brought up the part about him being a pretty good ambassador for the program and being very high on Ole Miss and helping out with recruiting and all that. And maybe I've mentioned this toward one of the probably depressing basketball pods we did toward the end of the year last year was there was a point last year, and I'm not the biggest on checking social media, particularly as it pertains to Ole Miss athletes last year, but for whatever reason, I would all like I saw a couple of different things that he'd posted and it seemed like he became very much happier and like in his own personal life. And I don't know what like actually reads into that. I'm not trying to dissect the kid's personal life, but it seems like he's grown up a lot as a human being and seems kind of very aware and very mature in that sense. And in a world of college basketball, you have so many transfers, so many newcomers, having a guy that's been there a couple of years and is an adult in the room and kind of knows what to do and what's going on. How valuable is that to a team, particularly with a bunch of new faces with a first year head coach? I, I think it's super valuable. And, you know, he's a, he's an older kid. He's like 21, 22. Uh, he's a Mississippi guy, which I think is important. Um, but, you know, one thing, and I, I don't want to, this point to get into comparing to previous Ole Miss coaches more so than comparing to coaches just in college athletics, regardless of sport in general, if you just put a camera on Kiffin or Beard and watch them coach and the way they interact with players, they get it. You know, they're not berating guys a ton. Beard will kind of get on somebody and then, you know, pat them on the back or whatever the case may be. Lane does a really good job, in my opinion, of 
the balance between getting on people but also getting on refs. If you're a coach that is nonstop disciplining players but never gets on refs, even if they're just mediocre, I think you actually lose trust in your players a little bit. And so I think in this new age, obviously, you know, times have changed and you have to coach a little bit differently. You've got guys on campus being Lane and Beard that are leading your programs that I think they kind of have it figured out the right balance of disciplining but words of affirmation. And both of them have a lot of fun too. Um, Beard and Lane do a lot of things with their players you know, off the court, and some of it's kind of corny, you know, going to lift weights in the Harrison's parking lot and, you know, whatever the case may be. But it's it's refreshing to to be able to see that um, both on the court and in their press conferences, the way they approach things. And going back to the breakfield point, I think that that um, – I think that's led to more buy-in and some of these guys being, you know, a little freer and happier – um, with their role and willing to work harder going forward. I think you're dead on with that. It's as important as ever in this current era of college sports. Like in my mind, if you're talking about from like a character and value, they add not necessarily tangibly on the court in terms of break field. I mean, you've heard Kiffin talk about guys this year. It's the Ladarius Tennyson's, the Jordan Watkins, the Jared Ivies of the world. I mean, if you ever hear, get, hear Kiffin get asked a question about either of the three guys that I mentioned, I'm probably leaving a couple out. He gushes about them in a guy for a guy who doesn't like – totally gush about the players that play for him all the time. There's purpose for that and a reason for that. And I think because like you mentioned, the balancing act, having guys that have buy-in and kind of some self counter accountability is absolutely massive. And I think Breakfield could bring that for this team. Getting to the Matthew Morrell part, scores 16 points last night. He's the team's leading scorer. He goes six to 18 from the field. He's only one to eight from three point range. We talked about over the last couple of years, like what we think he's turning into and what he could ultimately be. We've talked a lot about kind of the Jalen Brown syndrome, about him getting better off the bounce. I think some of that probably remains to be seen. There were some flashes of that last year. There was something I was looking at earlier and I was looking at his career splits. He was like a 31% three-point shooter last year. I think he took 45 or 50 more threes than he did the year prior, but he was damn near close to 40 the year prior. In terms of his ability to make the perimeter jump shot, do you view that at all as like a linchpin in terms of like unlocking the next level of player that he could be? Yeah, I think so. And honestly, you know, I've never – I haven't done the the research to see, but I'd be interested to see what Morrell's true three-point percentage is when he's not forcing shots. You saw it last night, both from, you know, the perimeter, but also even mid-range as well. Like, and I'm not saying that he his shot selection is is awful, but at, at times, you know, he takes some just kind of bad shots that don't flow within the offense very well. And so it would really be interested to see, and look, this is another piece of not having a guy that can create at the top being a point guard, but it'd be really interested to see, like, hey, for his shots that, a Chris Beard or even last year Kermit would have checked as, Hey, we like this shot. You're, you can take this shot as much as you want to compared to, you know, force bad shots. And you could do this for a lot of players. I get that, but it'd be interested to see, Hey, is he truly a 33 to 35% three point shooter? And the thing that he needs to do is actually at times maybe decrease this quantity. That's the thing that I wonder about him from a perimeter shooting standpoint you made the note that 
I've been on for two years now is like for how good of an athlete he is, he still can't get downhill. And my opinion of it is he's just not a great, he's not great at dribbling. I, I think that's what his limitation is. I mean, you saw his dunk last night. The dude's a, a phenomenal athlete, but I think that um, he, he has to develop dribbling to be able to beat guys off the balance more. There was an interesting, uh, last time in the press conference that Beard mentioned something about how he liked that Alabama State team. He thought they could win the league. I know this doesn't mean jack shit, but they were projected seventh or eighth in the SWAC based on voting. Now, I will say they were seventh. I think the top six teams got first place votes. They were the um, they were the la- they, they were the first team not to get a first place vote, whatever amount of weight you put on that. But I'm just curious, like what what did you think of Tony Madlock's team? I was very impressed with his son. That didn't look like a total like. I mean, I know this is a bad example, but like a Ken Palm 350 complete bomb. I think this team could be okay, and I don't know what their schedule is. What did you think of the opponent? Yeah, I, I think they'll be middle of the pack in their league. Um, I, I don't know that – that league's so weird. I mean, you can finish middle of the pack and go win the conference tournament, but they played super hard. You know, I've worked with Madlock for four years. Um, he is an awesome dude, super laid back, um, and his son TJ would work out at the Tui Center – a lot when I was working for the team and he has bulked up a ton. I mean, he was a pretty thin kid growing up. So it was good to see, um, you know, good to see Madlock, you know, leading the sidelines. Um, I just think, yeah, middle of the pack. I mean, I think it, that was a good, just non-conference, you know, opener, um, not too competitive. I do think going into year two, you'll see Beard schedule a little bit more aggressively in non-conference. When you take over a job in year one, it can be difficult to get out of some previous contracts from the previous staff and your window to schedule, you know, is, is a lot smaller. So I think you'll see a little bit more of aggressive staff going into or um, schedule going into year two. But yeah, I think that's, you know, that was a, a decent opponent to play challenged Ole Miss in some areas. Um, I think that they actually at there were some spans where they beat Ole Miss off the dribble a little bit, and I think that you know um, Beard will address that. But it's always good to go after an opponent that's not that three hundred level or worse team because it shows you early on what levels you could potentially get exposed in once you get into conference play. Defensively, you mentioned it like them getting beat off the dribble some. I'm just curious. There wasn't a ton of zone last night, but they did do some possessions. They had some one three one with this team's, you know, I think they'll be pretty good defensively for from what you've known from Beard so far versus the personnel he has on this team from a whether it's kind of the Kermit one three one or just whatever from a man zone perspective, how do you kind of view this team in terms of how they balance what type of defense they play? Yeah, I mean, I do think it'll still be heavy, heavy man, you know, switching and icing ball screens. Um, I mean, look, one thing, there's a lot that I think that they, they've got to work on. Um, and we can kind of talk bigger picture towards the end of this you know, podcast of where we think, you know, this team will land. But I think, and you'll have to fact check, like this may have been the lowest opposing field goal percentage uh, team has scored on Ole Miss in a decade. And I think we both can agree, like, hey, was that Alabama State team good? No, but that that wasn't a scrub team either. I mean, they're probably like, hey, a two two fifty, Ken Palm is where you know they may they may land. Um, so being able to do that, 
even though it was more spurts rather than consistently over the game. But spurts, they got beat off the dribble, and I think there was some room for improvement at the five spot from a defensive rebounding standpoint. 28%, I mean, it's pretty damn good against a team that isn't, you know, completely incompetent. Anything surprised you about last night? Um, You know, I think I, – I'll, I'll tell you what surprised me. I mean, it looks like T.J. Caldwell's taking a step. Um, and, and that could be – that could be big for this team. It's funny, every time there's a really good athlete that uh, signs with Ole Miss, there's always <laughs> – Terrence Davis comparisons. So you had Scooter Hallams and then Morrell and uh, yeah. then TJ, you know, but, um, you know, I, he surprised me and I'd like to see how he could play at a combo spot, both the one and the two. Um, I think Flanagan's versatility surprised me. Um, he will have to play the four a lot this year, but even though he's only like six five six six, he rebounds pretty well. He had 12 last night. So I think that those were – you know, I think those were the two things that um, positively surprised me uh, for this team. If this team exceeds expectations, given that what we know currently about them now, is it because Flanagan becomes a realistic double-digit point-of-game guy in the SEC? Yeah, I, I think it's that. Look, in my opinion, I actually think you kind of know what you're getting with Morrell, Breakfield, and Flanagan. Flanagan maybe have, has a little bit higher upside, but I feel like if you told me their season total from a stat standpoint, I could probably guess it for points per game and rebounds with a variance of about two. I think the thing that is going to take this team up a, a next level is if Murray, um, Juju Murray or TJ Caldwell can take a big step. And then what you get out of post depth, meaning, hey, can Breakfield play the five some and then go small ball and it work efficiently? Or, and he only played four minutes last night, so we'll see, but can Rashad Marshall be a role guy for you that can defend and rebound at a high level? I actually thought, I know you only got him for four minutes. I think most all of that happened in one possession. And I don't know if it's just because he looks like a 6'8 linebacker, but I kind of liked him. Like, he didn't do a lot well. I think he may have had a foul and screwed up on some possession, and then he didn't really come back in the game. But there, for whatever reason, when he checked in the game, I was like, okay, this is like a pretty decent and seemingly versatile body. I kind of like what he could potentially do. And it seems like, particularly without Cissé, they're probably going to need to call on a guy like that, whereas if you had him eligible, they wouldn't necessarily need him for 2023. Well, 100%. Um, I think, you know, it's, it's really weird. It, it's really been about 20 years since you saw – consistent red shirting and it happened a lot more with blue bloods than it did, you know, the regular guys, but he is a kind of guy that, you know, 20 years ago, you could have seen red shirting in a perfect scenario. And then he'd really give you something in year one, which is really year two, but I think it's going to be really good for him to get thrown in the fire. And then next year, you know, if CSA, you know, CSA is on the roster and then you've got bowl, the guy who's signed, and then you have Marshall, you're you're in a really good spot at the five spot if Marshall can grow and, um, you know, develop a little bit over the year. So he he's a guy that I've got my eyes on a lot. I, I think he is a super crucial piece to this team. Um, but, you know, we, he, he's got to be able to, to get in there and play his role early and often. Looking at this non-conference schedule, there's some interesting games on here from a name brand-wise. I'd be pretending – 
if I told you I knew exactly how any of these teams are this year. But you hit a stretch. You get Temple on the. Uh, yeah, I believe that's a actually a that's a true home away thing, right? They're playing on campus at Temple, NC State, and oh. Memphis there in late November in the entering the first week of December. You kind of get UCF there in Orlando as well. What are you looking out for as far as notable non-conference games for this team? Well, I'll tell you this. I think that that Temple game is really important because um, if you can go and beat Temple, you know, you look up and you're like 6-0, and 5-0, and and you've got back-to-back games um, against NC State and Memphis the same week. NC State, I think, is around like Thanksgiving week, and then Memphis is on a Saturday. And I think it just is going to be really big – you know, home home crowds and basketball are a big thing. So if you can beat Temple and then go split, you know, that series um, against NC State and Memphis, find a way to split it. Okay, now you've got you've got some real you've got some real momentum going throughout the rest of the non-con. So um Cal's got a first year coach as well. Um that that game's in San Antonio. That's actually a game that I'm I may go to. Um and then UCF, obviously Johnny Dawkins. So there's some, you know, there's some schools that have had some success. I'll tell you the game uh, I called FAU last year, and Ole Miss actually won, and then FAU goes to the Final Four. But that Southern Miss game two days before Christmas is tricky. That was a really good team last year. They return a lot. Every time you play a day or two, a day or two before Christmas. As the the bigger name school, it's hard to get guys up. We almost lost to Troy in the ta- the last game of the Tad Pad. Um, it is really hard to get guys up. I mean, that Southern Miss that line will be super close from a Vegas standpoint. Uh, Nick Williams, former Ole Miss great, is an assistant coach at Southern Miss. He's going to want that game. Austin Crowley plays for them, so that's a game that um, Ole Miss is really going to have to get up for to win and I think Southern actually played Mississippi State pretty close in either an exhibition or secret scrimmage and you know State when healthy looks like an NCAA tournament team we'll finish up with Bracken in just one second but before we do I want to take one more quick break to remind you this podcast is now brought to you by MC Speech Therapy. Has your child been diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder or another developmental disorder? MC Speech Therapy offers private speech therapy from the comfort of your own home. Other centers may leave you as the parent sitting in the waiting room. MC Speech Therapy enables parents to make every moment with their child therapeutic. Using a relationship-based framework, MC Speech Therapy can help your child engage, relate, and communicate. Mary Claire Boudreaux's doctorate-level expertise and passion in helping children with communication difficulties offers articulation and language therapy, parent training, and is licensed to do virtual therapy across the state of Mississippi. With MC Speech Therapy, you and your family will gain a better understanding of your child while cultivating stronger relationships. For service today, call 903-824-8575 or email her at maryclaire at mcspeechtherapy.net. That is M-A-R-Y-C-L-A-I-R-E at mcspeechtherapy.net. All right, back to Bracken. And not to mention everything you said is incredibly true. That sucker's in Biloxi two days before Christmas. That is a... yes. <laughs> that is a neutral site gym two days before Christmas. That's going to be a fascinating one. Um, 
So from that standpoint, I always love to either shit on Memphis or just dissect what do you think they're going to be. What is Memphis December 2nd walking into Oxford? I think Penny's actually after the kind of the whole like five-star kingdom aftermath and some of the troubles they have with that. He's actually done pretty well. What do you make of Memphis this year? Yeah, um, well, I think Penny kind of figured out like, hey, this whole five-star thing is is a lot to deal with from an ego standpoint, and he's completely pivoted. I think every single one of his starters this year um, are transfers. Um, and so he, he's got a good roster. Uh, I've said it for years. I know people like to harp on him, but Penny's a pretty damn good defensive coach. So that's going to be a really interesting battle of two really good uh, two really good defensive coaches. And, I mean, you know that, uh, like I said, especially if Ole Miss can, can start off, you know, 7-1 and one or something, that's going to be a really awesome environment in the pavilion. Um, Ole Miss talent-wise is, is probably, you know, it's probably not an equal comparison with Memphis, but you do have a top-five coach in college basketball. So that's going to be a really entertaining game. Yeah, it is. And then obviously to kind of wrap up here, we'll just start going into the SEC a bit. Um, A&M supposed to be really good. Tennessee supposed to be really good. I know they did the preseason poll. I don't ever put a ton of stock in that, but it's kind of jarring to see programs like Kentucky and, you know, I know historically Florida picked fourth. How do you see the SEC shaking out this year? Who are you bullish on? Yeah, I really like A&M a lot. Um, you know, Tennessee's favored to win or favored to win the conference. I think A&M actually is my pick because I think they have the best player in the league on their team. And, you know, it's been a buzz's tenure. There's been kind of weird because I thought he was going to get them going immediately and it's taken him a little bit longer, but that program's at a really good spot. Um, Kentucky's a really interesting year with the roster turnover that they've had and Cal seems to be kind of on the hot seat. Um, and so, I, you know, that's that's what I think. I, I really, again, and I think this is the same as last year too, but I think there's really only one dud in the league this year, um, and I think it's South Carolina again, right? I, I don't think there's anybody else that's just going to super hurt you from a net standpoint if you, if you lose. Um, but right now there's – Early, we're one game into it, but there's eight teams projected to go to the tournament from the SEC, and Missouri is first four out, you know, as a ninth team. Uh, this time next year, you get Texas and Oklahoma as well, who have, you know, they've got good programs. Um, so, really, you know, it's a really good time for SEC basketball. It's an absolute bear of a league, and I think that's part of what produced the coaching change that we just spent the last hour discussing it's interesting, though, like Wade Taylor probably ends up being the SEC player of the year. But I mean, between Viscovi and Ziegler and James, Tennessee, like, I guess I would have to believe it before I see it. But like the difference between them and prior Tennessee teams are like, are they actually going to be coherent offensively? Because I think if that's the case, that might end up being my pick. But I probably got to see it first. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think Alabama is a little underrated as well. Um, they lost a lot and lost all three assistants, which you know how big I am on that piece. Um, but I, I watched them play a little bit last night, and they've got a pretty talented roster. What does Cal have to do this year for us not to talk about what the hell's wrong with Kentucky uh, entering the offseason again? I mean, at Sweet 16 or better, maybe, um, I, I guess. It's, it's, it's hard to – 
it's hard to gauge that one. Um, it's hard to gauge who they would go after. I think they're – it's a weird time in the state of Kentucky for basketball because Cal is kind of on like this warm seat. And then Louisville's coach may not make it to Christmas. Um, and he's they're only been there. Yeah, he, he, this is year two for him. Um, you know, he – they lost uh, somebody. I think they lost to a D2 team in an exhibition game. And, you know, he – in the press conference blamed it on talent That's i did see that that was an incredible cell phone i mean you know who's responsible louisville, for such who's responsible for acquiring talent louisville's like a top 15 job in the country they've got a beautiful arena that's a pretty you know decent sized city as well big basketball state and you know i get it's year two but you're also in the portal era as well and so blaming things on talent you can do that about the first month of year one, but after that at Louisville, that's not an excuse anymore. I don't know why I know this random fact, but every time I Google a head coach, or like Wikipedia head coach, it's always like somehow they're from Mississippi. Kenny Payne, born in Laurel, Mississippi. That's right. Did he play at Mississippi State? He played at – he went to Jones and then went to Louisville. How about that? Okay. There you go. There you go. Um, Toward the, the middle and the bottom half of the league is very interesting to me because you mentioned there's only one dud. I would agree with you there. But Ole Miss, in a league that's got eight teams in the NCAA tournament, you mentioned the Knights, the first four out. Ole Miss is sitting there at 10th. It's almost like one th- – or I would say six through 13. It's kind of like this is kind of anyone's game jockeying for a position. I don't necessarily love Ole Miss's chances given the guys they do and don't have eligible. But – I guess as we kind of wrap up the Ole Miss part of it, best and worst case scenario for this team. I know without those guys being eligible, you kind of mentioned like temper the expectations some. I'll ask it this way, actually. Give me a path to them actually being in the conversation in February. Um, Them having a path would be being a two-loss team coming out of conference play and going eight and ten or better going into Nashville in the SEC tournament. My prediction is they'll go – I think there's 31 games. I think they'll go 17 and 14 um, and, you know, 7 and 11-ish in conference play. Um, the interesting part about that is if you do that and you get eight teams in the NCAA tournament, you've got a real shot at making the NIT because of this new NIT rule, which I believe goes into effect this year. It may be next year, so I could be wrong there. But they're essentially taking, like, the two top teams that don't get in um, the tournament from right. each of the big either five or six leagues. You know, it's either the big five and the AAC or just the big five. And so that's kind of where I see this team landing is – 17-ish wins. I think they got us right in that 9-10 to 10 range in in the conference um, and with the shot, you know, going into Nashville of being an NIT team. But you go in and get some momentum. It's a really powerful thing having NC State and Memphis at home. If you can find a way to get out of, you know, out of non-conference land, I think that would be 10-2-ish, and two-ish, give or take. Um that's you know that sets you up um, going into conference play of hey seven and eleven and then you've got uh, you know the SEC tournament 
you know, who knows what could happen from there. But, yeah, my, my prediction, 17 wins, you know, nine or ten in the uh, – ranked nine or ten in the conference and seven-ish conference wins. One thing I skipped over, I really enjoyed Beard's press conference last night. Just some of the small things where he talked about, like, the way he thinks about games, like, you know, the kill of three defensive stops in a row, if they can yeah. get seven in a game, like, they feel pretty good about it. Um, you know, the whole walling up thing and not fouling and a couple other things you just mentioned throughout. You mentioned him coaching a different style. He seems like a pretty tailor-made first-year head coach to where even if the team's not very good, they'll be entertaining and they'll be pretty positive vibes. I know you didn't want to get into it further, but my God, I'll just say it. The panic substitution method when someone screws up and they're just now out of the game is now gone. As he kind of gets into this bear of a league, are you interested at all to see how he kind of handles the ups and downs of it? Because I know he doesn't have quite the horses that he wants. I think he's probably a top two, top three coach in the league, inarguably. Like that's, I don't even have a question. I'm just curious your thoughts. I, that's something I'm very fascinated about to see him in year one in an absolute bear of a conference trying to navigate an 18 game schedule and the ups and downs that come with it. Yeah. Look, it's been since 2016 that, you know, he's had a team that has, I guess, won less than 20 games. Um, that was his first year at Texas tech. And that so I think, I think it will be an adjustment for him a little bit. Everybody at, in basketball and work and life in general, when adversity hits, you start getting a little bit more emotional um, naturally. So, yes, I do think that, you know, uh, it, it will get a little bit more emotional as adversity hits. Um, but I, I still like the, you know, I like the way he approaches things. And another piece of that as well is he's going to, he's not afraid to ride officials too. So sometimes I think that emotion will, translate more to the officials and the players, which I think from a buy-in standpoint is a big thing for your players. So I'm interested to see it as well. It was very, you know, odd um, not seeing a timeout called in before the first under four media timeout. Um, but, you know, <laughs> I will definitely take that. It's, it's the timeout and the immediate back turn to clipboard that probably actually has no value for the reason that you call it timeout. Uh, I won't, I won't miss that. Last thing, just taking a look at it nationally. Who do you kind of like? I know Kansas, Duke, Purdue kind of sitting atop the preseason polls. We, as we recorded this on a Tuesday evening, you already in Michigan state somehow listed James Madison. Did you kind of dissect the preseason top 25? Is there anybody that sticks out that you really like as a sleeper maybe? Yeah. I mean, I really think, um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty high. Like I said on um, on A and M this year, um, I think I think that they've got a shot. Um, I, you know, the Florida Atlantic storyline is interesting. Like preseason top ten, a, how about that? Yeah, I guess in a way, this is like a, a VCU or or you know Butler the year after. Um, I don't know. You know, they returned everybody, but I don't know that I see them finishing. Um. I don't know that I see them finishing there. And then, you know, just another thing that I, I'm going to find interesting is, hey, Texas, I mean, I've watched them a lot the past couple of years because of Beard. What did they look like with Rodney Terry? He's super well-respected, and he kept a lot of that staff with them as well. He's recruiting at a pretty high level. So I'm, I'm interested to see, um, you know, what Texas looks like in the post-Beard era. Last thing before I let you go. Do you have, if you had to crown it today, who wins the whole thing? 
that's an impossible question to ask in the modern age of college basketball, but I got to do it anyway. Yeah, I mean, I, I I mean Kansas is number one. That's such a cop out answer, but they're so good. And there's something weird about self just signed a new extension. A lifetime. You can't get better than that. But there's there's just something about there's something there that I think he's just not going to be there forever. I don't know why. I've just always gotten that feeling. But he's got a he's got a really good team. Um, so that's probably my favorite. Um, and then the team that I think is um, a lot better than their ranked is actually Bama, um, who's at twenty four. I, I think they'll. I think they've got a chance to be a Sweet Sixteen team again. I said last thing, but I forgot to mention the fireside chats. We got AK on the fireside chats. I think that's a cool thing that Beard does. You would have better insight than me. I mean, I'm I'm not doubting this. I don't mean this pointed. Are they actually like friends? Have they known each other a long time? I thought that was a oh. very good segment. Oh, very much so. So our staffs were were friends uh, when I worked for the team. When we went to the Final Four, um, we would do a lot of stuff with Beard's staff. My the year that Beard won like 30 games at Arkansas Little Rock. Yeah. We either played we either played them in a secret scrimmage or an exhibition um, to help him out. So very, I mean, they are very close. I would imagine they talked daily um, when the Ole Miss job opened. The big question I have is like, were they just in that upstairs area of Funkies and like, hey, let's go do this damn thing? They were on the people think they, they were like there like, on a roof. They were on the Funkies rooftop. Yeah, again, I don't know if that broke fire code, um, but I imagine that was Lee Harris just being like, yeah, sure, do whatever the hell you want. And it made for some tremendous content. I don't know how they got up there. I'd love to ask AK about that. Like, did your big ass climb a ladder? What happened? Yeah, the the other thing is I loved um, AK having respect for Hugh Freeze and having the styrofoam cup up there on the fireside chat while it was going on. I thought that that was, you know, they're both Alabama guys now. So I thought that that was a great uh, honor to his name. It's an incredible touch. He is Bracken Ray. I appreciate the time I'm in. I'm looking forward to actually diving into some basketball, particularly post-Christmas for the first time since we've been doing this. Thanks for the time. We'll talk to you again soon. Yes, sir. See ya. All right, that's going to do it for our show today. I appreciate Bracken's time. Thank you for listening. Looking forward to chopping it up with him throughout the course of the basketball season. And, you know, unlike years past, where we basically wave goodbye to basketball correspondent Bracken Ray when the calendar turns to January 1st. I don't think that's the case this year. I don't know how good this team will be, but they will certainly be fun and we'll have a lot to talk about with uh, one of the smartest basketball people I know. So anyway, be on the lookout for those as we dive deeper into basketball season. We've got more football content coming for you as the week turns on. And we've actually got another actually famous person potentially coming on the podcast for Thursday. I don't want to jinx it or spoil it just yet, but the person is an Ole Miss alum with some Athens ties. I'll leave it at that. Guess if you want to. Anyway, be on the lookout for that. Thanks for listening to the show. As always, y'all have a great middle of your week, and we'll talk to you here again on Thursday.